the reconciliation that God provides changes us from enemies to friends in Colossians chapter 1 verses 21 down to about 23 we see a clear picture of the gospel in Paul's letter to the believers at Colossae a few weeks ago I preached a message this is part one of this message on serving in the body of Christ that I preached at the Grace Evangelical Church in Congo Town in Liberia West Africa. My name is Gene Brooks. Thank you for listening to Voices Along the Way. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I would ask you to open them please to the first chapter of Colossians. If you'll hold it up, I'd like to see. So Moses told me that the old missionaries out in Bont and Grand Cape Mount, they make you hold a Bible count every Sunday, right? And they count your Bibles, and everybody got uh, credit for having uh, bringing their Bible. I want you to bring your Bible to church. It's important because it's not important what I say. It's important what the Bible says. So we're wasting our time if we're not listening to what the Bible says. And so this morning we are in the first chapter of the letter to the Colossians. We're going to be reading. We're going to be working through 21 to 29 today. And uh, so uh, we are uh, going to launch right ourselves right into God's Word. Let me tell you a story to get us started. During one of the wars that America fought, a man in civilian clothes rode past a group of soldiers uh, who were trying to lift a very heavy uh, beam of wood up to put it up for a defensive barrier to help with building uh, defenses. The, the, there was an officer standing there, small guy, who was shouting orders at these men. They were trying, they were struggling to try to get the beam up. He was shouting orders at them, not lifting one finger to help them. But he was, he was telling them what to do. The civilian uh, asked him, why are you not helping your men? The officer replied, Sir, I am a corporal. <laughs> the stranger apologized. He got down from his horse and he helped. He got up under the beam and he helped the men get it up over onto the wall where it needed to be. When the job was done, the civilian turned to the corporal and he says, Mr. Corporal, next time you have a job like this, and not enough men to do it, send word to your commander-in-chief, and I will be happy to come back and help. <laughs> and that man, who was in civilian clothes, was the father of, of our country in America, General George Washington, who became the first president of America. The passage that we have before us today is a lesson about growing in maturity as a servant instead of being a Christian who expects to be served. Uh, that's what this passage is about. Now last week, we looked at Paul's awe-inspiring statement of Christ's deity from verses 15 to 20. I think uh, Dr. Rick led you through this to the how Christ's deity and what he did leads to the reconciliation of the world. Now Paul takes that reconciliation of all the 
world, all the cosmos, and he applies it to you and me. And he repeats this theme of the death of Jesus Christ doing that work of reconciliation in us. And he mentions it again, several things uh, that he first brought up at the beginning of his letter in verses 4 through 6. Faith, hope, hearing the gospel, and the importance of a global reach of the gospel. So when, let's read 21 to 29. Read it with me. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now, I rejoice in what was suffered for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim Him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all His energy, which so powerfully works in me. May the Lord bless the reading and teaching of His Word. Now, Paul wrote this passage, and it sits right in... I would like for you to move the screen where I can see the, uh, the outline of the letter to the Colossians. We're in chapter 1. Colossians has four parts. Four chapters, four parts. Colossians 1 is about the deeper life of Christ. Colossians 2 is about the inner life in Christ. Colossians 3 is about the higher life in Christ. And Colossians 4 is about our outward life in Christ. And so when we come to this passage in, in chapter 1, we're in the midst of learning what it means to live a deeper life in Christ. And so Paul wrote this passage to teach the Colossian Christians that they need to embrace the gospel. They need to endure suffering. They need to serve the church. And they need to tell the good news for Christ's sake. So we want to talk about today the importance of serving and growing in Christ in the church. The first thing we want to talk about today is the embrace that we should embrace the gospel of Christ. This is verses 21 to 23. He says you need to embrace the gospel of Christ. Now, he begins in 21 and gives us the bad news. Once you were enemies of God, you were alienated from God. And then we have the good news, 22. But now he has reconciled you, right? By Christ's physical body. To present you holy. And then 23 he says. As you continue in your faith. Established and firm. And not moved from the hope. 
Now, so this passage, is, these, this first three verses tell us something very important that sometimes we, we need to re- be reminded of. And those of us who are not in Christ, not believers, not followers of Jesus, need to be made aware of the truth that by default, we are all Christ's enemies. By default, we are all Christ's enemies. He says, and once you were strangers. Now the construction there is that he says that you are in a state of continuous, settled state of estrangement from God. There's no changing it, he said. You are in a place where unless Christ came along, there was no way to change this relationship. It was broken forever. And it says you are even hostile. Your enemies. And he says that it was in your mind in your mind and your attitude. So it's expressed through your wicked deeds and your evil works. That's why some, uh, several years ago when I was pastoring in North Carolina, I came to the conclusion that I needed to stop saying you need to uh, confess your sin and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior because I began to realize that in America, people were growing so far away from understanding biblical truth. They didn't understand what that meant anymore. So I had to start saying, you need to admit to God that you have offended him in the way you think, the way you speak, and the way you act. And you need to ask him to forgive you. And you need to submit your life to him as Lord. So I changed, I said the same thing, but I changed my wording Because I was realizing people didn't understand what it meant to confess your sin. But they understand when someone offends them with their thought or their mouth or their hands. They can understand that. And so he's saying the same thing. You are enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. And if we think about it, that's where sin always starts. It starts right here. Sin starts in our mind. And it eventually comes out through our actions. Or our mouth. And so these things are what we're talking about. The thing is, most people, you ask most people in Liberia, are you a Christian? I go to church. I got a good friend. I said, are you a Christian? He said, I'm a Methodist. I said, well, thank you for telling me where you went to church. But I need to know if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm a Methodist. I said, no, I'm not asking you where you went to church. I'm asking you. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? He had a really hard time answering that question, which told me something. In, the, in, the, in the, where I come from in South Carolina, you read the obituary in the newspaper or online, and you see, you can tell that they were not, probably were not believers, when it will go all the way down, and it won't say anything about any involvement of anything except their civic groups, and then it says, he was a Baptist. That's what I'll say. He was a Baptist. No church, no involvement. Say he was a Baptist. It, mean, it probably means his grandmother was a Baptist. <laughs> yeah? By default, we are all Christ's enemies. But most people think they're going to heaven. You ask people, are you a Christian? Yeah. You going to heaven? Most people will say, yeah. Two-thirds of people will say, yes, I'm going to heaven. One-third will say, uh, one, one in four will say, I, I don't have any idea if I'm, going, if I'm going or not. And then one half of one percent will say, I, I think I'm going to hell. One half of one percent. 
Most people think that they are going to heaven. But, and, and you give, ask them, why do you think you're going? Well, I obey the Ten Commandments. Well, they haven't read them if they think they're obeying them because nobody in this room has, has, has followed the Ten Commandments perfectly all their life. I don't know what, what Ten Commandments they're reading. Or they say, well, I'm basically a good person. That's why I'm going to heaven. Or another, another group will say, well, God loves all people and he wouldn't let anybody perish. That's another thing they would say. Uh, and one thing, another thing I hear in Liberia is, well, we are all following the same God. Whether you're Muslim or you're in the bush or you're a Christian, you're all worshiping the same God. And you'll hear it. Also, you'll hear, well, this is an Abrahamic re religion. We're all worshiping the God of Abraham. You'll hear that a lot from our mother, Muslim brothers and sisters, mother, Muslim cousins. And, and so uh, the Apostle Paul has something to say about that in this verse. He makes it clear that if Jesus Christ is not your Lord, you are estranged from him and you are his enemy. Your sin makes you his enemy. He loves you, but he does, cannot have anything to do with your sin. He can't have anything to do with my sin. He, it, and so you, you say, well, you know, I'm a pretty good person. Uh, I take care of my wife. I provide for my family. I work hard. I'm honest on my job. I'm probably going to make it to heaven. And I'm afraid there's a dreadful message for you in this passage. Everyone's a sinner. And without a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, there will be no heaven for you. Like they say in Liberia, it will not go well for you. You cannot live your whole life like you want to and then expect Christ to bail you out when you stand in the judgment. If you think that sounds very harsh, then perhaps you're not seeing sin from God's perspective. Sin is something you were born with. No one had to teach you how to be disobedient to your parents. No one had to teach you how to be disobedient to God. It comes from the original sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. Sin is a rebellious slap in the face of a glorious and gracious and loving and creative and holy God. It's a great offense against his rule and his reign. Sin is criminal activity committed against the Lord. Sin will destroy you will destroy your life, and will destroy your life to come. No one is so important that they get a pass. When we were at the medical outreach yesterday, people would come to me because they would thought I was walking around that maybe I could get them something else. I could get them around the line. We could get them something special. Right? They would come. There's no such thing like that in the kingdom. If you continue rebelliously in your sin, you will die and you will be in hell for eternity. Hell is for those who never accept Christ's free gift of eternal life. That gift comes without strings attached and it, it transforms you. She, he's just fine. He's just fine. It, it, will, it transforms you and makes you into a new person and gives you New priorities. So that you want to do things differently than you did before. 
And it orients you towards serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does all this mean? It means this. It means that being rescued from sin is a no-brainer. Christ's free gift is a transforming gift. I hope you've enjoyed part one of this message from Colossians 1, 21-29. You can hear this podcast on a number of platforms, including Apple and Spotify. Uh, thank you for listening to Voices Along the Way. I'm Gene Brooks.